Good morning. I think, oh, that's loud. Um, I think, you know, Reagan is going to be our next uh, pastor up here preaching. She looked ready. Um, so good morning. I am so excited to be sharing the word with you all this morning, but let's, um, let's pray again before we, we dive in. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to fill this place. We know, God, that your words are not just ink on a page, but they are dynamic, life-altering instructions for each of us. Give us our ears to hear and hearts to feel and hands to take action um, with the words that you want us to hear this morning. In your name, amen. So this morning, I'm going to start off with a little story. And the story is of Rabbi um, Yosef Kahanaman. And um, you may not have ever heard this story, but it's actually a quite famous um, Jewish story. I just actually learned about it in my studies in the last um, couple of weeks. So Joseph Kahanaman is a Lithuanian rabbi. And after the Holocaust ended and World War II was over, he made it his mission to find the Jewish children that had either, their parents had either been executed during the Holocaust, or many of these children had been sent to Catholic convents um, for their protection. And the way he did this is he would wander through the orphanages in Europe, and he would recite a famous Jewish prayer, the Shema. And as he would be walking down the halls and repeating the Shema, the children, they would often cry out, Mama, Mama, just instinctively because it was such in their hearts. Or, or often they would complete the prayer with him and they would begin saying it with him. And sometimes they would just cover their eyes as was the tradition. So the story of the Shema is to the Jewish people, and the Holocaust victims, this was like their lifeblood. This is what they were often saying as they were being executed. There's story after story about it. Um, and if you're not familiar with the tradition of Shema, we're going to actually learn a lot about it this morning. I just found it fascinating, and I'm gonna, we're going to talk more about it. So one thing you're going to hear over this morning a few times, so let this just start sinking in now, is holy people put holy practices into their daily routines in response to the holy work that God has already done for them. So about a month or so ago when I was really like praying and getting serious about what I was going to preach on today, a specific passage just kept coming to me. And it, it's in from Deuteronomy, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But of all the pastors that we've had come through here this summer, they've all been preaching on something in the Old Testament. And, and God kind of just kept putting that into like perspective to me that, that I think he's trying to teach us in transition time that he has been at work since the dawn of creation. He is the reason for creation. And you know what? He is still working every single day in our hearts, in our lives, in our church. And we can just take that assurance home with us. That just really gave me a lot of comfort that, um, that he's been tying these little strings all together for us. So today we're looking at two passages, and the first one is from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Um, I'm going to put it up on the screens in a moment, but if you want to go ahead and like, start looking it up in your pew Bible, on your phone app, um, your, your own Bible. So a little context is... The first five books of the Old Testament, in which the Jews would refer to as the Torah, or in the Greek translation, it's called the Pentateuch, they contain 
the most oldest and cherished stories of the Bible, such as Adam and Eve and Noah, Moses, the story of the Exodus, they contain the oldest law codes also, which include the Ten Commandments, which are given to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 5, so just before the verse we're going to look at. And these, these books are so old that really scholars... They don't necessarily agree if Moses wrote them or not. Um, it's always kind of been the tradition, but they're not sure of that. If Moses compiled them, they're not exactly sure even when this was looked upon as scripture. But the Torah, it enabled the Israelites to survive the loss of their cultural and religious institutions during their exile in Babylon. That's when these came to the Israelites. And it helps to set them apart, to be faithful to God. The laws, they keep them alive, and many of the laws just kept them safe from diseases. But the Torah, it motivates Israel into obedience, and it shapes the reconstruction of Judah. These five books of the Old Testament, they set the stage for the rest of the Bible, and there are so many references in the New Testament to these scriptures. Um, in, in the book of Deuteronomy alone, I think there's over 115 references in the New Testament just to that book. So Deuteronomy, it's presented as the word of God through Moses, and it's to the generation as they're just about to enter the promised land. The entire text is presented in such a way that it expands all contexts and times. It's referred to the second giving of the law, and it details the covenant relationship between God and his people. So Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Because holy people put holy practices into their daily routines in response to the holy work that God has already done for them. So this passage starts out with what is considered the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This simple sentence is the start to many, many sacred prayers in the Jewish tradition. The Israelites would have said this the first thing in the morning and the last thing that they said at night. And it's all about listening to God. It's the confirmation that we have only one God, which is central to our faith and our understanding of the Trinity. It was radical devotion to one God in a time when polytheism or the worship of many gods was normal. But starting off with that word here, it's a call to listen, to pay attention to God in response to here is we're keeping his covenant. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey. I found this really interesting. Listening and obeying are two sides to the same coin. I'm just going to repeat that one more time because I want that to sink in. In ancient Hebrew, when this was written, there was no word for obey. The word hear Listen and obey are the same. Um, how different is that just concept to us? So I want you to notice how personalized these verses are. So this is the NIV translation, and the word you or your is found 15 times in just these five verses. 
These verses are written to apply across our cultures and our context and our times. And it's a call for us to be a holy people. The first part is really just the first four commandments being summed up to love the Lord with every part of us. It takes over our heart and our soul and our strength. This love needs to take over our whole being. It's not something we save for Sunday mornings or for maybe a midweek Bible study, but we are commanded to keep God's word in our heart every moment of every day. So how do we get to the place where God's love is so complete in us? And the ending part, it kind of tells us, it says we need to impress the word on our children. This love and this law needs to be passed down to generations. But it's not passed down as a list of do's and don'ts, which is what kind of most of us get taught growing up. But it's a blueprint on how to integrate God's commandments and our love of God into all parts of our life, therefore transforming us and our children into holy people. This scripture, it shows us that we're supposed to talk about God and his commands a lot. Um, We're supposed to talk about it when we sit at home, when we're walking down the road, or in our case, we're usually driving down the street. But when we're lying down, when we're getting up, we're supposed to practice Shema. We're supposed to make God's words our first words and our last words every day. We are to write God's word on our hands and bind it on our foreheads and to write it on our door frames and our gates. Can you think of a time really when this is saying you shouldn't be focusing on God's word? I couldn't. So there's some debate whether this is meant figuratively or literally because you don't see many people with scriptures tied um, to their arms or their foreheads, but in many Jewish traditions that is very common in reciting the Shema in these prayers. So what God wants from us He wants our love and our devotion. We often think of of God and those commandments as a list of do's and don'ts. God wants our money. He wants our time. He wants me to do this. I can't do that. But that's not it. He just wants us to slow down long enough to hear and obey his voice. So we're going to go to another passage that's related to this directly. And this is um, Mark 12, 28 through 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So this passage is a continuation to the call to be a holy people. And it's often referred to as the Jesus Creed. And in Mark, he sets a stage for us actually in chapter 11, and it's the beginning of Holy Week. So Palm Sunday has happened, and Jesus has been ushered into Jerusalem with his many followers. On Monday of Holy Week, Jesus sees what's happening in the temple and starts overturning tables and clearing out the money changers. Mark 12 picks it up on Tuesday. Jesus in the temple teaching. So when a teacher of the law asks him, what is the most important commandment? Jesus replies to what all of his Jewish audience would have known as Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. His audience in their head would have 
started continue, you know, just saying it with him. They would have been knowing that it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. They would have gone to this immediately. And then Jesus adds the second commandment. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And that is another direct quote of passage. It's from Leviticus 19.18. So he combines that to the Shema to give them a new understanding that people that love God, they also love their neighbors. So about, I don't know, eight months ago or so, um, I was I was feeling burned out. To be perfectly honest, my walk with God was on autopilot. I was saying and doing the right things, but I just knew I was missing the mark. And I know we all go through times of that. I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody can relate. But I knew that I needed to do something because I just, you know, it was kind of just that, that emptiness when we're not completely, you know, letting Jesus take over every part of us. So I started this practice of Shema, not really even remembering I, that I did actually read a book years earlier on it, but, and I'm going to show you that in a minute, but just I started this Jesus Creed in the morning and at night. So I'm laying in bed, I'm trying to fall asleep, and now I am terrible at memorization. Um, I, I, the, the words were not any biblical translation. They were just the heart of the passage. But I'm saying this like as I'm laying down, and in the morning my alarm would go off, I'd wake up, and before I got out of bed, my feet would touch the floor, I would repeat this Jesus creed in my head. Now, I started like writing it on sticky notes. I'd set my alarm a couple of times a day to practice this Shema. And then I actually realized that I had read a book on it, and it's called The Jesus Creed by Scott McKnight. Um, he's a North Park professor, and it is a great book. And then he actually, this is The Fellowship of Difference is a newer book of his. And if you are a reader, I highly recommend both of them. The Fellowship of Difference is probably one of the best books about what church is supposed to be like and living in community that I've probably read in four or five years. So um, that's why I put them both up there, because if you're a reader, check them out. So as I was in this practice of Shema, I started noticing a difference. I started seeing people differently, and I started seeing all people. You know, I see the person at the gas station that's across from me pumping their gas. You know, I, I'm seeing the, the person that's checking out my groceries in the store. And I'm seeing them all in the image of God. My outlook slowly started changing. And as Jesus kind of started getting into those little nooks and crannies that I knew that it was taking over my life again. And then I'm warning you because when Jesus starts getting into all those little nooks and crannies, things can really get messy because you start really loving these people. You're not just helping them because I was good at that, but I wasn't loving them. And when you start loving the people that maybe have been abandoned or maybe dismissed because they have big problems, your life starts getting really chaotic and you start losing sleep and your schedule keeps changing and I am not good with that, but God gave me the strength to get through it. And you know what? Even in all of that chaos, like I have this peace that that is what I am supposed to be doing. That is what Jesus is calling us and commanding of us to do. So we're going to transition a little bit um, into some holy practices. So we know what it looks like to be a holy person, but some holy practices um, that we're going to look at because most of us are not going to bind the word of God to our arms or to our foreheads, 
Um, I keep thinking that I might nail it up to my doorframe, but I haven't yet. My, I haven't you know, passed that one through my family yet. Um, because we do, we need to remember that holy people put holy practices into their daily routines in response to the holy work that God has already done for them. So Pastor Matt, he touched on spiritual disciplines um, when he preached last a few weeks ago. And today we're going to go into a little bit more depth, into six holy practices that I think all Jesus followers we need in our lives. And these practices are probably not going to be anything new to most of us. But you know what? Every one of us has places that we can grow in each area. So as many of you know that I am in, uh, working on my seminary degree, one of my assignments this summer is to write a six-week small group curriculum, which I'm not excited about a lot of my, <laughs> my assignments, but I'm actually really excited about this one um, because we're gonna write, I'm writing it on these holy practices, and we're going to do it as a church together this fall. So if you call See Me Covenant your home this fall, we want you to join a grow group. It's going to be six weeks. Some of you have been in the same grow group for years. That's fine. We're asking you to take six weeks of that and, and do these practices with us. And if you are not currently in a grow group, guess what? You're going to have an opportunity to take six weeks and do that. And on your Connect card, um, there's even a place for you to write if you might want to lead or host a group. And you can pick if you want to meet every week, every other week, if you want to go meet at Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, if you want to meet here in the church, your house. You guys can decide that. But we get to go through this together this fall. So the holy practices are these six. There are, there's, there's more, but these are the six we're going to focus on to incorporate into our lives. Um, Meditation on the Word of God, prayer, fasting, giving, serving, and sharing our story or evangelism. And again, if you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, we can all grow in some of these areas. And if you are just new to this whole Jesus thing and you're not even sure what it's all about, I'm going to encourage you to start trying some of these practices. Join a group because it's going to be a safe place to ask questions um, and to learn together about what Jesus is about. So meditating on the Word of God, that first one. So as we spend time in Deuteronomy, we understand that we are commanded, right, commanded to spend time in the Word. It doesn't mean that we have to spend 30 minutes every day um, in quiet time to be a good Christian, because I will tell you, I am terrible at that. I have felt guilty for years that I wasn't good at quiet time. Um, my mind would wander, and I would fidget, and I had to find other ways to get into the Word and let it absorb into my heart. And so this fall, we're going to look at some practices that are going to help each of us find new ways to grow in our understanding and our knowledge of Scripture. But I want to give you a couple things you can start today. I want to challenge you to maybe start the practice of Shema. Start taking this Jesus Creed and repeating it in the morning when you wake up and before you go to bed. Let it get down into the corners and the nooks of your life. And you can start a devotional this week. Maybe if you're not in the practice of that, there's great ones on the Bible app on your phone. We've got in the back, we've got um, home altars and daily breads. But start getting into the Word in some form every single day. The next practice is prayer that we're going to look at. 
And if we believe in the power of prayer, sometimes I wonder why it's the last thing we turn to instead of the foundation of everything. You know, it's when something bad happens. Oh, we can, we got to pray more. we got to pray more. But really, like, we've got to be praying about everything all the time. It's got to be the foundation. And we're going to look at different ways to pray. Um, and we're going to look at how to create time and space in our lives to listen. So often, our prayer time and my prayer time is me talking to God. You know, I, I'm talking to God about this, and I'm talking to God about this, but I don't slow down enough to listen. Um, so we're going to talk about ways to create that time to listen. So for me, I, I learned probably about four years ago that it's walking and praying. I now write my prayers on three by five index cards, and I walk and I can pray through them very easily. When I get back, I, like I sort them out. If I have to update prayer things or I want to write more, I just keep those in a little separate. I just you know kind of use my fingers, and and that's how I have found that I have time to listen. I've created that space to listen. For you, it might be journaling your prayers. I have a lot of friends that are great at journaling. I'm not. Um, but I urge you this week, try something new in your prayer time. That you know. It, Try something new to create that space where you can listen. Now, the next one is fasting, and this one makes most 21st century Protestants really uncomfortable. Um, I was not raised with a tradition or understanding, really, of fasting, and this is something that I've learned more recently. And it might be 24 hours of completely fasting from food, but it doesn't have to be. Um, for many of us, for health reasons, we can't do that. And then we feel like, oh, we should do that, and we can't. But there's so many other ways to fast. So you can fast from social media. You can fast from McDonald's. You can fast from your daily cup of coffee, or in my case, cups of coffee. You can be, you know, fast from red meat or online gaming or internet shopping on Amazon. There's plenty of things that we can fast from. So in, in years past, um, I did get permission to tell this story. So my husband's really good at fasting. He actually is, like, I look to him for inspiration on fasting. And so for, like, Lent some years, like, he has, he's fasted from meat, which for, you know, a carnivore um, is a big deal. You know, he has fasted from caffeine. He actually even fasted from looking for rescue puppies, which is really a big deal um, in our house. So... Um, I, I have fasted, this is my confession, I have fasted from online solitaire. Now, it's just a minute here or there when I'm waiting in line someplace or, you know, at the airport or, you know, so, so for me, I have spent time and I fasted from playing online solitaire and it wasn't until I fasted from it that I realized how much time I spent because what I started doing, this has been this practice of Shema, I wouldn't turn my phone to the app, and I would start repeating the Shema, this Jesus creed, in my head. And it wasn't until I started that I realized I waste a heck of a lot of time, you know, like moving little cards around. It just, it, it was crazy. So fasting, it can be for like a day here and there, or you can work it into your daily routines. Um, and when it comes to fasting, it's, it's important to remember that the what isn't nearly as important as the why, why we fast, because we're fasting in order to spend focused time with God. And this really, it just goes hand in hand with our meditation on the Word and with our prayer time. The next one we're looking at is giving. 
So scripture is clear that we need to be giving our first fruits, that we need to do so joyfully. But sometimes when we can barely meet ends meet, we don't know what the future holds for us. How can we follow the example of that poor widow in scripture that gives the very last she has to the offering? And we're going to look at how aligning our budgets with our priorities and how we can take small steps in our giving will allow God to do mighty things in our lives. And so I want you to think today, like what is something small, small step you can take today in order to be more generous in your giving? You know, maybe it is just skipping that, you know, cup of coffee at Starbucks today and putting that extra $3 in your tithe next week. Or maybe it is actually going out and recycling some aluminum cans. Or or maybe it's giving what you've been giving, but doing so joyfully. Serving. So there are many different reasons why we serve. And we all serve differently at different parts in our lives. Like how we served, you know, 10 years ago might not be how we can serve today or, or even where God is calling us to serve today. And as we talk about serving, we're going to discover more of our spiritual gifts in these grow groups. And we're going to look at how those spiritual gifts go with our natural talents and the passions that God gave all of us. And we're going to grow into that holy people that is continually being transformed by God through serving. So this week, I want you to think, can you write a card to someone or make a phone call to somebody that you know is struggling? Um, can you maybe drive somebody to a doctor's appointment or just pick up some groceries? Or um, Alpine Attic is actually in really need of more help. So maybe you have a couple hours that you can just go over and serve there. Um, we need people to do all sorts of little jobs around the church. It could be, you know, cleaning off, you know, wiping down toys in the nursery or doing some extra gardening, but there's all different places that we can serve in our lives. And I just, this week, I want you to start kind of investigating that. Maybe try a little bit, you know, a little here, a little there, something different in your serving. Now, this last one, sharing our story or the churchy word evangelism. I think this one scares most Christians these days. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but you know what? Even though we don't all have the spiritual gift of evangelism, God calls all of us to share what he is doing in our lives with others. And that doesn't have to be you're you know, passing out four spiritual laws tracks in front of the grocery store or waving your John 3.16 flag. It doesn't have to be that. But we have to take the time to be ready and willing to share the story of God and what God is doing in our lives with those around us. You know, it's one of those that we have to get to know our neighbors so we can actually share about the story of God and what he has done for us. So I want to make it clear that I don't want you to wait for fall grow groups. That's going to be another, you know, month-ish away. But I want you to start incorporating some of these six practices into your life in new ways. Because... Um, you're going to grow if we're doing the same thing over and over and over again. How that was happening to me, and that was why I was kind of just feeling burned out and empty, because I was on autopilot. We need to do new things. So if you're thinking, I don't know what I want to do, so call me. We'll go have coffee. I can give you a book. You can go online and Google ideas. Um, there's many ways to get these new into our lives every day. 
And as we incorporate these holy practices into our daily routines, we're going to grow closer to the heart of God. And as we're being transformed, God is going to use us to transform others and transform the world. And we're not going to forget that we are saved by God's generous gift of grace. Jesus died on a cross for us. And thankfully, the story doesn't end there, that Jesus was resurrected and our sins have been wiped clean. And we don't need to earn God's love. We're not doing these to earn God's love. Our actions are our grateful response to the acceptance and the understanding of God's love because holy people put holy practices into their daily routines in response to the holy work that God has already done for them. So the last verse that we're going to look at is 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. And this comes from the New Living Translation. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. So that Scott McKnight book that I showed you earlier, The Jesus Creed, this is a, a quote, it might be, a, I guess it's a poem actually, um, from that book that I wanted to share. It says, what does it mean to love Jesus? It means to believe in him, to abide in him, to surrender to him, to be restored in him, to forgive others in him, and to reach out with the good news about him. This is how a disciple of Jesus loves Jesus. So let's be practice people. Let's be people that practice Shema. Let us not just hear, but let us listen and let us obey to the word of God. Let us write his word into our hearts and every part of our soul. So I put up this Jesus Creed again, and we're going to read it out loud together. Um, it's this kind of a liturgical thing that our church doesn't do that often, but we're going to get out of our comfort zone a little bit, and we're going to read this through a couple of times together out loud. So I wa- expect to hear your voices. Okay, let's just make that clear. All right. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Excellent, we're gonna do it again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So this, um, on Friday, my friend Karen sent me a text message um, kind of out of the blue, and I, it really went along well with what this sermon was about. So I took that as the Holy Spirit wants me to share that with all of you. 
So I'm going to read this um, text message that she sent me on Friday afternoon. It says, keep the flame of praise burning in your life continually, continually, ceaselessly, in all circumstances. I am not suggesting that you get in some private cubicle in a monastic corner of the universe where you repeat formula praises every waking hour. I believe the Lord is simply saying, whatever you do, whether you are changing your clothes or taking out your trash or driving along the freeway, just keep the flame burning. Be a person who praises, keep an attitude of praise, and never let the flame die out. So we need to be the people that are continually focusing our attention and our lives on Jesus and having him filling us back up so we can go ahead and change the world. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, I just thank you so much for these words um, of Shema and how they can transform our lives, Lord. And Lord, we just continue to seek you and these holy practices to have us grow closer to you so that we can better hear your voice and grow closer to your heart. And Lord, just continue to lift us up and fill us, be near us. And let us continually remember that you already did holy work for us on the cross. And Lord, that we can be holy in response to that. In your name, amen.